Sorry. This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. One day after President Biden took office, a reporter asked White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki about his position on taxpayer-funded abortions. She deflected the question by replying, I will just take the opportunity to remind all of you that he is a devoted Catholic and somebody who attends church regularly. But I don't have anything more for you on that. A compliant press often repeats the official devout Catholic mantra. The Biden administration is making plans to reverse the religious exemption for health care professionals, which allows physicians, nurses, pharmacists, and medical students to opt out of performing services to which they voice a strong religious or moral objection. Such services could include abortions, gender reassignment procedures, and dispensing puberty blockers to children. New documents show Joe Biden's administration helped the University of Pittsburgh with public relations to defend using aborted baby parts in research. So much, says one, for being a devout Catholic. But what if we exchange the words devout Catholic for devout evangelical or devout Christian? How would it change things then? What if some of the very things that Joe Biden is promoting and going along with as a so-called devout Catholic are also things that we find professing evangelical Christians, those who claim to be born-again Christians, those who are going to church regularly, are also embracing. Today on Viewpoint, we are going to deal in a heartfelt way with many of these issues. And it's not a matter of of Democrat or Republican, it's not a matter of politics. The politics are merely reflecting our moral positions. And our moral positions are reflecting our biblical viewpoints. You see, viewpoint always does determine destiny. There's no way to get around it. Viewpoint always determines destiny, and yours included. So here's the question. Here's the question before us. Are you loving the wrong Jesus? The famous pastor Greg Laurie asked that question a few weeks ago. In a poll by the Barna Group, half of those who described themselves as Christians didn't believe that Satan exists. One-third were confident that Jesus sinned while he was on the earth. And he said, it seems to me that the church today, there's a rising biblical illiteracy among professed followers of Jesus. Our biblical IQ, if you will, never has been lower, he said. Growing numbers of people now serve as their own theologian in residence. What we believe about God and what he says about himself is the most important thing we could focus on and think about. In fact, what we think about God has everything to do with how we live our lives. Our views of God will determine how we react to what comes our way in life, like Issues concerning sexuality, gender, all of these kinds of things that are hovering over not only American society, but the entire Western world as we speak. Are we going to think biblically and act biblically? 
emotionally. Far too many people, it seems, want to emote when it comes to God, and they feel, they feel, they feel, but they don't think. They see things like, I don't believe in a God of judging anyone. My God would never do this or that. Or I'm not into organized religion. I'm just really a spiritual person. Maybe we're neglecting what God himself has said at our peril. So I welcome you to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Myers. Conversation as always with ever increasing conviction, talk that transforms. And today, as always, will be both informational and I trust transformational. For some, it may appear confrontational, but it's not intended to be, well, condemnational. You see, there's a difference between condemnation and conviction. The Holy Spirit works in our lives through conviction, not through condemnation. But here's what happens. When we reject what the Holy Spirit says and what the Word of God says in whole or in part, that opens the door to the enemy of our soul, the accuser of our brethren, to accuse us condemnationally. So we have to make a choice. When the Word of God speaks to us in areas that maybe our life isn't consistent with, we must choose whether to humble ourselves in accordance with what God had said, or, like Adam and Eve in the garden, decide to diss what God has said in favor of our feelings or the dictates of the culture at the moment. And then we've opened the door to the incessant attacks and condemnation of the evil one. With all that having been said today on Viewpoint, we go into the second time, our second interview, with a dear sister, Sarah Barrett. Sarah Barrett, with her book, Stand Up, Stand Strong, A Call to Bold Faith in a Confused Culture. Several weeks ago, when we interviewed Sarah, there was such an amazing response from people across the country. I trust that will be true today. As we apply the things that were discussed several weeks ago to even more specific aspects of our life, our thinking, our culture, and yes, even our behaviors in the church today. So, Sarah, it's good to have you back on the program. Oh, thank you so much for having me back. I'm so glad to be here. Well, you are the editor-in-chief of something called The Revolution, therevolution.com. Can you describe that for us? Yes, so The Revolution was a ministry founded by Alex and Brett Harris. Mm -hmm. They off their book, Do Hard Things. And so really the heartbeat of The Revolution is to encourage teenagers to rebel against low expectations. And if you're wondering, yes, the word revolution is one that Alex and Brett made up. Mm-hmm. It is, it, by their definition, a rebellion against rebellion, a rebellion revolution, you could say, where instead of the typical rebellion that you think of amongst teenagers and young people, we are in fact rebelling against those low expectations and showing the world that teenagers can do hard things for the glory of God and live their lives sold out for Jesus Christ. Now you're coming to us as a 22-year-old, aren't you? I am, yes. 
And it is such an amazing thing and so encouraging to our listeners to hear someone at 22 years of age to come and express so clearly God's viewpoint concerning many of these uh, serious issues that we're facing. It's almost as if the world has come to dictate or the culture to dictate even Christian life and behavior and beliefs uh, over what Christ himself has said. Well, I believe that's really been going on since the very beginning. Just look at uh, Scripture where so many people walked away. Jesus himself said that he who endures to the end shall be saved. There you go. That's an amazing statement. That's an amazing statement as we head into this first break. Uh, Let's keep that in our minds, friends. Endure what? How do we endure? What is it we're supposed to endure? We'll be right back. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. She looked about 16 years of age, younger than me, said our guest today, straight blonde hair, skinny jeans, and Converse sneakers. She was in the grocery store with her mom, standing in front of the stock shelves about to make a selection. Then something the mom said snagged my attention, said Sarah, our guest today. Well, honey, if you're going to do it, I want you to be protected. And that's when it hit me, said Sarah. This mom was helping her daughter pick out birth control options. In our society, this is normal, perfectly acceptable for a 16-year-old to be sexually active. Provided with protection and her parents' awareness, this situation would even be considered healthy. Except, it's anything but. Anything but. Why is it anything but? What is going on here? Have we actually been so completely absorbed by the dictates of an ever-morphing culture that we ourselves have been completely absorbed by its authority? Our guest today, Sarah Barrett, with her book, Stand Up, Stand Strong, A Call to Bold Faith in a Confused Culture. Indeed, it's a confused culture, but it's not only the culture that's confused, Sarah. It's the people in the culture that make up the culture, including professing Christians, isn't it? Absolutely. You just hit the nail on the head. Truly, that is how culture works. So as the people are confused, then uh, we project those confused ideas onto the general culture, which in turn impacts the people. And it's really just a destructive cycle of ideas. You have written such an incredible book here. I think I indicated to you that in 27 years of broadcasting, there are only three or four times that I can remember doing multiple interviews concerning the same book. This book is so critically important for all of our listeners and those who they love, that I think it's important for us to do a series of at least three programs, and this is the second of the three. 
You say our culture is sexually broken. Porn addictions are rampant. We're living in a hypersexualized, sex-obsessed world. In a nutshell, it's the age of sexual autonomy. What do you mean by sexual autonomy? Well, if you consider autonomy the idea that you have complete free reign to do whatever you want, uh, that's exactly what you see today in the realm of sexuality, where there are no restrictions. You can simply do what feels good to you, mm-hmm. so long as so long as it's safe, legal, consenting, it's a green light, no holds barred at all. You know, you think of pornography, you think of casual hookups, you think of uh, the LGBT issues. Mm-hmm. Whatever you want to do, you can go ahead and do So that's where we get this uh, sign, if it feels good, do it. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see that so often in so many different ways, especially in the realm of sexuality. Well, Sarah, I have a, a question for you. In your 22 years, have you determined whether or not your feelings are always the same from day to day? In fact, I have to say the exact opposite. Feelings come and go. They shift. They are not reliable whatsoever. You have to have a higher standard of truth in your emotions. Well, why is it then that we're so prone to uh, rely upon our feelings as the final arbiter of truth? Mm. Well, emotions are incredibly powerful things. Uh, The way that you feel in a moment, it feels so real. It Mm -hmm. feels so powerful that it is an incredibly difficult thing, and it requires an immense amount of maturity to strongly feel an emotion and decide to go the other direction, to not follow where that emotion is leading. And it's not something that our culture is emotionally aware enough to realize that the way they feel does not have to direct the way that they live. And if we had, if we were able to uh, have that mindset, it would change so many things, but instead we're simply following the path of our emotions wherever they lead. And it's truly led us to some very destructive places. In a generation past, there was a little song that kids would sing. I don't know where it came from, but it went like this. I feel, I feel, I feel, I feel like the morning star. Now, (laughs) the fact that I might feel like the morning star at any given point doesn't make me the morning star, does it? (laughs) Right. Exactly. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) It shows the silliness of the lordship of feelings. The unfortunate thing, Sarah, is that our feelings in this last uh, two generations have actually superimposed themselves on the faith that we profess to believe, and therefore our feelings have become Lord, and our faith has taken short shrift, it seems. Absolutely. That is so true. Truly, the objective truth of, of who God is, um, the objective truth of who we are, objective truth of you know who created the world, everything that has everything that matters in our society, uh, really in the world, has been uh, relegated to the realm of subjective truth. Where okay, you believe that? Okay, good for you. You can believe that. I don't have to believe that. That that's not for me. So everything that matters has been relegated to the realm of subjective, which has truly led us to live in a culture of deep confusion where we're so confused we don't know what is true anymore you say 
we have been sexually discipled by the world. What a statement. Sexually discipled by the world. And in in a sense, that's from pulpit to pew, isn't it? Yes. In in a way, the church has has not necessarily stepped in to fill that role of discipling us on what God's Word says about sexuality. What does the Bible say about these things? So instead, in the midst of that void, the world has stepped in, and the world's voice is incredibly powerful. Everywhere that we look, we hear messages about sexuality, movies, TV shows, music, social media. Um, Everything really revolves around this topic of sexuality. So where the Church has not spoken up, sharing what God's Word truly says, the world has filled that gap and influenced us so powerfully with their messages. All right, friends, the book, Stand Up, Stand Strong, A Call to Bold Faith in a Confused Culture. $16 is going to put this book in your hands. It is a life-changing book. It's a book that you, as a mom or a dad, a pastor, a parachurch leader, a a youth pastor, uh, even for yourself, yes, This is extremely important. And parents, grandparents, you could use this book to facilitate hours and hours and hours of conversation, discipling conversation with those you care about. This is the kind of tool that we try to provide here on Viewpoint because it's transformational. Oh, plenty of information, but that's not why the book is written. The book is written for transformation, because God never commanded us to be informed, but rather to be transformed, didn't he? By the renewing of our minds, that so we might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. $16 on our website, saveus.org. The book, Stand Up, Stand Strong. You can give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA. 1-800-SAVE-USA or write to us at Save America Ministries. P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. I do not think you will be disappointed. You can hear so clearly how Sarah thinks and speaks. I believe she has a special anointing by the Lord himself to give us a message, to lead us into a message that provides hope and direction and, yes, indeed, spiritual correction. Well, all these worldviews that we've been talking about are sneaking into the church as well. According to a 2020 study by Pew Research, half of Christians say casual sex, defined as sex between adults not in a committed relationship, is sometimes or always acceptable. Did you hear that? I think it bears repeating. The Pew Research Group, just two years ago, found that half of professing Christians say that casual sex, that is sex between adults not in a committed relationship, is sometimes or always acceptable. In addition, cohabitation is becoming accepted in Christian circles and has actually taken over in our entire culture as exceeding and replacing biblical marriage. Did you know that? Nearly half of evangelicals age 15 to 22 say it's probable that they will cohabit 
in the future. Are you listening? Yet cohabitation is, shall we say, a euphemistic term for fornication. And fornication is specifically prohibited by God, and we wonder why. So, as our guest today says, we have been sexually discipled by the world. So, Sarah, I want to uh, ask you, why is it, you think, that God speaks so profoundly about the sexual relationship from the very beginning of the book, Genesis chapter 2, all the way through uh, to the end of the book, including his entire relationship with Israel and the church, always relating it to sex. What's up? Well, really, marriage and sexuality are, I like to say, a canvas on which the portrait of the gospel can be painted and displayed to a watching world. What a beautiful expression that is, a canvas, a canvas on which the relationship of the gospel in Christ can be expressed to the world. Wonderful. Okay. There is a much bigger story going on than what we realize. Uh, Our relationships are really just a representation of a more a larger relationship, the relationship between Christ and the church. And we see this displayed very clearly in Ephesians 5, where it says that uh, this is a great mystery, but I'm speaking referring Christ and the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of having that, highlighting that marriage, that picture of how a man and a wife are supposed to relate to each other in marriage. And so uh, our, our sexuality, our relationships are so important, and there is such a attack on them by the enemy because because he knows that they are meant to be a powerful representation of something bigger, of something more beautiful. It all goes to the very essence of the creation ordinance of God, right back at the very beginning, doesn't it? It does. As I was writing this book and researching. I was uh, shocked, really. I mean, I, I knew it beforehand, but as I was writing and researching, I was surprised how often I just went back right there to Genesis, like one through three. Mm-hmm. Uh, those first chapters lay such a foundation for for who we are, for who God is. That's why they're in the beginning of the Bible, because they lay that foundation that we need to understand everything else. And as the psalmist said, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? So Satan knows that our sexuality and the whole issue of marriage is at the very foundation of the story of the gospel. Therefore, if he can attack and destroy those and the creation ordinance of God from the very beginning, he has dominion over the rest of our lives, doesn't he? Yes, absolutely. Like I said, it's so attacked because it's meant to be a representation of something bigger and greater. And as soon as uh, we, we live with that kind of sexual immorality, um, you know, the Word says that it's not simply a sin against God. It's a sin against ourselves. It's a sin against the way that God designed us and created us. It mm-hmm. has so many deep consequences. I'm thinking back, Sarah. Uh, I have a ways to think back because we were married in 1966. And three years after my wife and I were married... Uh, a fellow by the name of Ronald Reagan, who was then the governor of California, inaugurated what was called, uh, well, basically free divorce. 
You didn't have to prove any responsibility. All you had to do was declare that you were going to have freedom, irreconcilable differences, and that was it. Irreconcilable differences. Wow. Is that really all that's necessary? Well, interestingly, Ronald Reagan was our first divorced president also. I wonder if that had anything to do, even though he professed to be a Christian, I wonder if that had anything to do with why he decided to inaugurate no-fault divorce. What do you think? And then how is that affected? Why is it that the divorce thing was the very first thing that was attacked in our culture and what have been the echoing consequences? Not just in the culture as a whole, but in the church. Has it actually defaced and defamed the foundation of the gospel that we proclaim to the world? We'll be right back. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, SaveUS.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, SaveUS.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived. Save America Ministries website at SaveUS.org. Are we loving the wrong Jesus? Do we really, are we really interested in what Jesus had to say about marriage, about sexuality, about our lives, about the foundations of the gospel as he related all the way back from Genesis chapter 1 through Revelation chapter 21? Hmm, I wonder. I welcome you back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. It's conversation as always with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms. Here's the truth. You can't fight for sexual purity in a sexually immoral culture on your own. You can try, but I'll tell you, the culture is powerful, friends, and it's compelling everyone into its mold. That's why the Apostle Paul warned us in Romans chapter 12. He said, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove What is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? Are you willing to prove that in your own life? This is not about theories. This is about the very heart of God's message to us. If our lives do not conform to what God says is his ordained purpose and plan, what does that say about our view of God or our view of Jesus or our view of the gospel, or our view of the character of God. We need to ask some of those questions. And here's the truth. As our guest Sarah Barrett has very clearly said in her book, your sexuality is sacred because you are sacred. 
you're made in the gut in the image of God. You are created to glorify God. You are ordained to be a breathing temple of the Holy Spirit. So, the Apostle Paul writes, he says, how in the world can you engage in a hookup culture? How in the world can you engage in fornication? How in the world can you engage in adultery? How in the world can you engage in pornography? How in the world can you engage in any of these kinds of sexual aberrations and call yourself a Christian? Don't you know, he said, that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? But apparently we forget that when we have given total authority to our feelings. So here's a, here's a rhetorical question for you. While we wait for our guests to return, are you giving total authority to God and his word concerning your life, the issues of your life, the issues of our time, the issues of sexuality, are you giving total authority to God? Or are you picking and choosing at his, what you think, his divine buffet table that allows you to pick and choose what you want to believe in? So sexuality is the battleground. It really is. And think about it. When Ronald Reagan, the first divorced president of the United States, inaugurated no-fault divorce in California in 1969, it swept like wildfire across the country, became adopted in the church as with the culture, and by the end of the 1970s, not only was divorce accepted in the church, but remarriage when your spouse was still living after divorce, which Jesus called adultery. How could that happen? How could that happen? Sarah, how do you think that happened? It's really a breakdown of the entire notion of what marriage is. Uh, We've made it more of this contract, this agreement that, Mm -hmm. all right, we're, we're married instead of a covenant. And that's what the Bible describes it as. It describes it as a covenant, this lasting commitment between two people for life that goes beyond just this decision that, all right, because we have an attraction, because of these external things, we want to live together or we want to spend our lives together. It's a much deeper relationship than what culture makes it out to be. And it's a complete breakdown of what that, what that covenant really means. Well, we have this term, you hear it frequently, yada, yada, yada. What does that mean anyway? Well, that is an actually a fascinating word in Hebrew, yada. It means it's used all throughout the Bible in many different ways. It's used in the example of us knowing God, of God knowing us, but mm-hmm. it is also used in the intimacy of sexual knowing. Uh, When we read in the Bible that Adam knew his wife, that refers to sexual relations, and that is the word yada. And so the word yada there, it goes so much deeper than what uh, culture says sex is. You know, I think of this quote from a drummer in Austin, Texas, that Mm -hmm. he said, it's just a body piece touching another piece of body, but that mindset completely goes against what 
the biblical idea of sex is in yada, where it is is so much deeper, a deeper kind of knowing, a deeper kind of connection. Mm-hmm. And so sex really, uh, culture really devalues that idea of sexuality. Well, I think uh, it's no wonder then that uh, the Lord, in providing his word to us, which he is watching over his word to perform it by his spirit, analogizes the life that he calls us to, to the sexual life in marriage over and over again. And when he speaks to Israel, he calls them adulterers, fornicators, and he's not just talking about their sex lives. He's talking about also how they have dealt unfaithfully with God. So he uses it both ways in order to get the message across, and he always, always, always uses the sexual analogy. Don't you find that fascinating? It is fascinating, and really uh, it goes to the fact that everything, our sexuality included, is backed up by our relationship with God. Our relationship with God, how we relate to God, is always the foundation there. And so really we are, as the Word says, Um, We are an adulterous people where we have turned from God. And so naturally, if we have turned from God and we're adulterous, so to speak, in our relationship with God, that's going to come out in our relationships with each other. That's going to come out in the very uh, natural and physical realm of sexuality. And also in the mental realm. When I consider that 70% of professing Christian men are involved in pornography by their own admission, 30% of our pastors admit to having a problem with pornography, and about 34% of Christian women admit to pursuing pornography, it's telling us that we have a very, very serious problem, and it's reflecting that our relationship with the Lord ain't what we think it is. Mm, Yes, pornography is such (laughs) an epidemic in the world and in the church that it's such a distorted perception of sexuality, and it it goes that we have this this intrinsic longing for intimacy and connection, and pornography exploits that. It distorts it. It says that we'll find that in this screen, we'll find that in this image, mm-hmm. instead of being able to find it first, our satisfaction in God, and then in the ways that he designed that desire to be fulfilled in the covenant commitment of marriage. Isn't it interesting that psychologists and sociologists and uh, uh, those involved in uh, uh, the study of sex and so on, they say that the majority of sex is not physical but mental? Yes. Yes, it goes so much deeper than just the physical. It really is. Uh, it, it goes mentally. It's, it's how we perceive it. It's the way that we think about it. So when well. Jesus says, whoever's looked upon a woman to lust after her has committed adultery already in his heart, that's what he's talking about. Yes, exactly. It's so much more than just the physical act. It's the way that we think and process. That's why Jesus's words there really cover the gamut of all of our sexual struggles, uh, lust, pornography, impure thoughts, the struggles within ourselves. Mm. Uh, he really covers it all there. And we're not making light of this. We're not, we're not talking about this just in theory, are we? We're talking about this as the foundation of, for our relationship with Christ, uh, yes, he forgives us from sin, but all sin is sin, including sec- our, our 
uh, failure to accept and live by God's standards of sexuality, right? Yes, and and the Word says that, you know, the sexual sin is, you know, it, it's hard to, to quantify sin, like, okay, which one is worse? Mm-hmm. But that the sexual sin, it, it impacts our relationship with God on a deeper level, it impacts and changes and, and harms our relationships with people on a deeper level. Because it's such an intimate thing, it has such... Uh, more deep and devastating consequences. Well, it's a direct attack on God's creation ordinance, and uh, right at the very beginning. And so that's why we need to talk about this. And, of course, when we look at what happened with regard to the demise of marriage through no-fault divorce and the acceptance of that not only in the culture but also in the church through the 1970s, then on the back of that came the increasing pursuit of the normalization of homosexuality. Now, that probably preceded your life on this planet, but I know exactly what that was about because on the street, the two-block street that we lived in California, Southern California, were two professing homosexual couples that didn't hide it. And uh, we found that throughout, uh, for instance, the fires that came through in the uh, 1990s in Southern California. Every single one of those major fires was located in an area or community that was renowned for its focus on homosexuality. So God doesn't play games with uh, these uh, sexual uh, perversions, does he? No, no. And really, uh, I've heard so many people try to disregard what the word says, say that, oh, you're just reading it into it with this cultural bias. That's mm-hmm. not really what the word says, trying to make allowances. But scripture is very, very clear that sexuality is meant to be simply a one man, one woman covenant of marriage, and that anything else, whether that's adultery or whether that's homosexuality, is a distortion of his plan and that it is really an abomination and a sin before him. All right. We'll get back with Sarah in just a few moments. The book, Stand Up, Stand Up Strong, $16. We'll put it on your in your hands, friends. It's on our website, saveus.org. I hope you'll get a copy of it. It's liberating. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by His Spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, Behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. God in Malachi chapter 2 clearly says, I hate divorce. I hate divorce. He also calls the practice of homosexuality and sodomy an abomination. 
So are we to love what God says he hates, or are we to hate what God says he loves? Things are very confusing, aren't they? And yet the scripture says the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Question, if we hate evil as Christians, sexual perversion, divorce, adultery, fornication, transgenderism, bestiality, any of those things, we also hate thievery. We hate murder. That's why we hate abortion. We hate what God hates. We love what God loves. But here's the question. If we hate what God hates, does that mean we hate people who claim to be homosexuals? What say you, Sarah? Um, in every aspect, in every sin, we owe, we're all fallen. We all fall short of the glory of God. Hmm. So if I say that I hate someone who is made in the image of God because of the sins that are in their life, because of that sin of homosexuality, then I myself am sinning against God by having that that hatred for that person. There is a there is a very uh, there is a balance there. You know, the whole love the love the sinner, hate the sin. Mm-hmm. Um, we are called to hate the sin. That doesn't mean that we hate the person who's committing that sin. Absolutely, it's a very delicate balance there. Um, but truly, because we are all made in the image of God, we are all the Imago Dei. We are to Seek that person to, that they can walk in repentance. I love what Second uh, Corinthians says that you know, uh, such were some of you, but you are washed, but you are sanctified, but you are made new. So whatever sin that may be, there is that possibility for them to be washed, sanctified, and made new. All right. What uh, do you What do you do though, Sarah, with the uh, professing Christian? What What do you do with the professing Christian, uh, or even so-called pastor, who says, "Well, you know." Uh, I feel, I I believe that I am a born homosexual, or I am born transgender, I'm born this, I'm born that, and uh, I believe this is a gift from God. This is what uh, the the, uh, current president of uh, Amazon, not Amazon, but uh, the cell phone company started by Jobs. Anyway, he says that... His homosexuality is a gift from God, and he's proud of it. What do you say? Well, that goes back to the definition of sexuality as defined by God. Will God give a gift that is contrary to his plan or his design? Of course not. Everything that he gives, every good gift, is from above, as it says in James um, so everything that God gives is going to be in accordance with his plan, his design, his purposes, and his will, his character there. Any, anything that someone claims is a gift from God, but is in, uh, it flies in the face of everything that God is, well, that's obviously a gift instead from the enemy of our souls, from Satan himself. You know, I have never had the feeling or belief that someone who claimed to have homosexual attractions didn't have homosexual attractions. I never even thought to disagree with what they said. That's not the problem. Some people have anger problems. I don't consider, because they have anger problems, I don't consider them 
unworthy of God's forgiveness if they will repent. I don't hold them hold it against them. I do hate the anger, but I don't hate them. Everybody has a propensity for something, some kind of weakness, don't they? Yes, and I love that you bring that out because I think a lot of a lot of people that they assume that same sex attractions are not real or that simply because they don't experience them that it's not the real experience of someone else. Mm-hmm. But simply because someone has an experience doesn't mean that that experience deserves to be validated as truth or as a good thing. Mm-hmm. And that is where we that's where we mess up. It's one thing to acknowledge that yes, this is real. Uh, it's a real feeling. It's a real experience. But it's another thing to say that it's real and it's also good and that it should be followed through and enacted. Uh, we, You could say that, like you just said, with anger, with so many other things. Just because we feel it doesn't mean that it's good. It doesn't mean that we should live it out. Mm. That's exactly the point, because we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, but God doesn't give us permission to continue in that sin in fact, his uh, forgiveness is extended to us when we repent, when we confess that it is sin and then turn from it, doesn't it? Doesn't he? Exactly, exactly. We are all sinners. We all have sin that require repentance. All sin is grievous to our holy God. Mm. And But the amazing thing is that the grace and the mercy of Jesus is enough for any of those sins. It's enough for all of that brokenness. And so I... I've heard that some people say that, all right, if you say that homosexuality is wrong, well, then you're saying, in, in essence, that that person is wrong, that that person is irredeemable, that that person can't be saved or can't be changed. But that's minimizing the power of Jesus. And that doesn't necessarily mean that those feelings will go away. It doesn't necessarily mean that this person will suddenly become a heterosexual but it does mean that that person can have abundant life in Jesus Christ. It also doesn't mean that that person uh, is, uh, as you said, fundamentally irredeemable, but that that person doesn't have any measure of control over whether or not they're going to live out their propensities. Exactly, yes. I mean, um, we all have a decision. Will we live it out or will we seek to, by the power of God, seek to live in holiness? I have national magazines in my files that indicate that men are uh, fundamentally promiscuous, that they are really created to be promiscuous. Well, just because a man or a woman might be tempted to be promiscuous or drawn that way doesn't mean that God approves it or that that's their identity, does it? Exactly. Our identity is so much more than our sexuality, but culture has now turned sexuality into our identity. Uh, Because sex has become a source of identity, like any restrictions, any any kind of guidelines has become an attack on people, become an attack on who they are. But we are so much more than our sexuality, and our identity is not based on our our lust. It's not based on our attractions. Our identity is in Christ, and that identity in Christ, for those who are saved, gives us the freedom and the power to live in holiness, to reject those feelings, to reject those temptations, 
and instead choose to walk in Christ and the way that he calls us to live our lives. Isn't it interesting that the Bible says that without holiness, no man will ever see the Lord? That's pretty serious when you realize that God defines holiness in many respects along the sexual line. The amazing thing is, is that none of us can be holy on our own, but that as we seek Christ and his righteousness, that righteousness becomes our own, and he enables us to be holy and gives us that privilege of one day being able to see God and live uh, with God in perfect holiness. So if the Supreme Court or any other court or the legislatures of any state or the federal government decide to uh, approve the practice of homosexuality or the practice of homosexual marriage or any other thing that God uh, says he hates, uh, does that redefine God's position and inaugurate freedom for a professing Christian to follow that pattern? Absolutely not. And I love what Pastor David Platt says about that very thing, that ultimately we do not look to any court or government to define marriage. God has already done that, and his definition cannot be eradicated by a vote of legislators or the opinions of Supreme Court justices, because the Supreme Judge of creation has already defined this term once for all. The creator of the universe is the one who has already set the standard, and we abide by his definition and not by the world. The supreme judge of the universe. The Bible tells us that Jesus is going to come, when he returns, he's going to judge the world in righteousness. It's not going to be the Father that judges, it's Jesus who's going to be the judge. Why? Because he lived out every temptation like you and I, yet without sin on this planet. Therefore, He is qualified and worthy to be that eternal judge. And he's going to be judging according to the word of truth, not according to the culture, not according to the laws of men, and not according to our feelings, is he? Yes, I love that so much that in Hebrews it says that, you know, he is the one who endured all temptation, and that's how we're able to come boldly before the throne of grace, because he can sympathize with us in our weaknesses, mm. and he is the one who who is able to do that because he walked through temptation here on earth. All right. We're told to follow the science. Follow the science. Follow the science. Well, the, the science is actually unequivocally in favor of what God has said in his word. It's our feelings that don't like it. It's our practices that don't like it. And uh, so... The science says that female chromosomes are XX, that male are XY, and those are the things that distinguish our sex, not our feelings. They affect not only our reproductive systems, but every cell in our bodies, and the differences between men and women are not only distinct, but intricate, designed by God for different purposes. How is it, then, that we can play this game with a straight face that somehow those not only biblically ordained facts, but scientific facts somehow are irrelevant. Well, once again, here we see that emotions have been elevated over reality, that everything that matters has become a subjective truth, and that uh, we have no source of objective truth. 
Um, but it is so true that what you just said that uh, everything gender goes so deep. Gender is something that um, it. I love what cardiologist Paula Johnson said in a viral TED talk that every cell has a sex. And what that means is that men and women are different down to the cellular and molecular level. Mm. And this is something that we disregard in our society. Many people are not aware of this. They're not aware of the actual facts. They may say that they believe in science and whatever, but they they don't actually know the facts. They don't actually know how deep gender goes, that it's not... It's not just your emotions. It's not just even your anatomy. It goes down into your cellular level mm. um, because God has really created men and dif- men and women differently across uh, every part of their of their bodies. Really, do you think that one of the big problems uh, today is not what uh, many are saying that we are biblically ignorant uh, or have biblical ignorant IQs, but rather we don't want to know what God says? Because we really, if we think, we think that if we don't know what God says, then we're not held accountable to it, and we can just conform to our feelings or conform to the culture. Absolutely. We are all, uh, humanity is all uh, deep-seated. They have deep-seated rebellion against God. They don't want to submit to Him. They don't want to obey Him. And so in every way that they can, they will seek to disregard his truth. They'll seek to ignore it and go their own way. Aren't we all, including you and me, don't we have flesh that's tempted to rebel just like everyone else? We all do. And it's only by the grace and mercy of Jesus that any of us can can obey him. And there is the final word, friends. Only by the grace, that's his enabling power. God's grace is not his willingness to wink at our sin, but it is his enabling power, his favor toward us to enable us to obey his voice and to do his will. Time to stand up and stand strong, friends. That's the name of the book, A Call to Bold Faith in a Confused World or Culture. $16 will put it in your hands on our website, saveus.org. Call us 1-800-SAVE-USA. Write to us at Save America Ministries. If you're doing that, add $5 for postage and handling. This is a life-transforming book. This is a book, a tool for every single one of us to rise, to stand up, and stand strong in a culture that's mitigating against God's authority at every turn. God bless and be a blessing. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home. 